This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This is Jesse. And I'm Scott. Hi, guys. This is Brian Murphy. I'm a uh, short-time reviewer on SFF Audio. I'm with the Silver Key blog at Jesse's... uh, Get generously linked to a few times, um, and I'm very happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. Welcome, Brian. It's Thank you. Nice to meet you in, in person, as it were. <laughs> yeah, the Silver yep. Key blog is at thesilverkey.blogspot.com, and uh, you've always got really nice stuff on that blog. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's mm-hmm. been going now for a little over a year, and... Uh, uh, I don't know why I decided at this point in my life to start it up. I'm 35. I've always enjoyed fantasy. I've been a, lo- a lifelong reader. Um, and I think it was just, I, I, I was telling Jesse before, I used to do a lot of book reviews the old-fashioned way where i just write them down in a three-ring binder mm-hmm. um, just because my memory is a little bit shaky at times. So <laughs> I, I didn't want to forget some of these observations I had made while reading. So I used to do these reviews um, on my own and kind of personal and um, I thought you know it's not like I don't want to share these you know and then I I know the blogging software has evolved to a point where anyone even a you know technological fool like myself can can start up a blog and it's pretty easy to use and uh, that's what kind of got me over the top and I, I I've just enjoyed doing it I, I don't plan on stopping any anytime soon maybe when I eventually run out of ideas but I you know this there's so much out there to talk about and uh, so much new material that uh, mm-hmm. I just enjoy doing it I see it I see myself continuing well that's mm-hmm. good that's great mm-hmm. yeah I noticed um, that there's two things on your blog uh, fairly recently that I'd love to talk to you about that um, haven't appeared sure. on SFF audio in any way but they're mm-hmm. both audio um, the first one is uh, Seamus Haney's Beowulf um, yes. What did you think of that? And you listened that to that, one right? of the, that. That was an audio book, was it not? That was an audio book. It was read by Seamus Heaney himself. Um, and I, it was one of the better, I guess you call it listens, reads. I, I, I always wonder how you talk about an audio book. Do you, do you read an audio book? Do you listen to an audio book? But it was, it was a, great, uh, a great recording. Uh, Seamus Heaney is the uh, translator and editor of the of the poem and he also is the reader and uh, if you like the sound of words if you like um, so, you know it's it's a little out of the ordinary in that it's an it's an old poem and it's full of alliteration it's it's more of if, as I wrote in my review uh, you know Beowulf's a story where if you look at it from a distance not a lot happens I mean you have a monster that's uh, harassing a hall you have a call for help. You have a hero come over the sea to to stop the threat. Um, and then you have him go on, and then the poem picks up from about 50, year, 50 years later in Beowulf's life where a second threat comes up, which is in the form of a dragon, and he kind of has to uh, strap on his armor once again. It's, and the, to use a sports analogy, it's kind of like a, a great athlete coming out of retirement to uh, <laughs> save the day one more time. And that's that's pretty much the whole story. So there's there's not a lot going on in Beowulf. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty action packed. It's it's pretty brief. But what makes that particular recording great is is just the the words and the the uh, allusions he uses. You know, he calls a 
a, a boat, a wave skimmer. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other mm. particular uh, turns of phrase he uses when when he's describing. Um, let's see, like a, uh, the sun is the world's candle, the ocean's a whale road. He called a gleaming sword is a battle torch. I mean, if 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 that's what you like, if if you like, some people might find that as I wrote a little tedious. Some people want to just they consider uh, fiction just a way to get you know to talk about the story and kind of be transparent. Whereas I, I think a big draw of Beowulf is that the the words that he uses are in many ways the story and in many ways the draw. So I I thought it was terrific, very different than what you typically get in a yeah, it sounds good. Sounds really good. Sounds uh, like something I'd definitely be interested in. Yeah, I've got I to mention. You heard yeah, he, I've got I to mention here uh, one one guy though before we move on. Um, there's a fellow named uh, Michael DC Drought, who um, we've reviewed him a couple times on SFF Audio for um, the classes he's done. He did uh, one on science fiction and one on fantasy. You remember those, Jesse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. <clears throat> anyway, he's um, he's a uh, professor of uh, old english and middle english and medieval literature and and things and um anyway he recorded beowulf in um whatever language is it old english or middle english i can't remember which anyway he recorded um, it in, in yeah, that I, language and uh i have that cd and and i listened to it you know obviously i'm, I'm not understanding very much of it but it's <laughs> almost like music you know the the rhythm of it and the and the pronunciation of it is really something else. It's the uh, old vowel shift uh, yeah. before the vowel shift, so it doesn't sound normal. Right. Yeah. Well, this, anyway, this... yeah, anyone who wants to check him out, he's at wormtalk, w-o-r-m-t-a-l-k.blogspot.com. I'll write sure that down myself. Okay. Um. I, I, love the, I love the Neil Gaiman uh, uh, movie. You know, I don't I think a lot that. of people. I don't think a lot of people do, but I really liked it. You know, it it it, it changed the story. I, I there were some things I liked about it, some things I didn't like. It made Beowulf more of a uh, a character from a modern novel. You know, it kind of gave him more of a of a background, more of a motivation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil the movie for people who haven't seen it, but it, it certainly makes Beowulf's mother, who's a very minor character. In the original poem, um, it, it it makes the story focused really on her. Um, there's some, you know, there's some questions about, uh, you know, who Grendel's father is, and obviously it ties back mm-hmm. to the mother and 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 Beowulf and uh, and Hrothgar, who whose hall Beowulf comes to the rescue of. You know, it it, it makes it much more of a it, it makes it much more appealing to, I think, the modern reader in that it, it does infuse these characters with a lot of motivation and a lot of uh, background. And um, Some people say it makes the, the actual character of Beowulf a little unlikable. He's a, he's a little more of a braggart than he is, I think, in the poem. He, he, does, he does boast a little bit in the poem, and I think that was, you know, I'm, I'm not a student of... of uh, that's, that's the morality English, back then. Yeah, that was the morality back then. There was a lot more of that. Yeah, of course, you had to back it up. And yep. you know, many many of these guys died backing up what they talked about, but that mm-hmm. was the that was the way to go. You know, you wanted but to die. But that's that's modern rapper too. You know, like uh, 
That's the modern rapper, a gangster rapper. You know, I'm the baddest guy ever, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> right? You know, it's the it, same you, idea. You're right in a way. It, it is. I mean, I, I hadn't really made that connection before, but, uh, you know, that was the way to go. It was the story you, didn't want to die. You, you didn't want to die in your, on a bed um, in your sleep. You wanted to die with a sword in your hand so you'd be... You know, guaranteed passage to Valhalla. Vikings and, uh, are rappers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, the thing about Beowulf is too that that was it was written at a time where Christianity was was starting to uh, gain traction, and there's a lot. There's, there's a that's another thing I should recommend about the audio book. There's a it kind of mixes the old pagan ways with uh, the coming of Christ and Christianity, mm. and um, it's 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 got a little it's got some depth to it in that regard too. Yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah, it really does. All right. Cool. Yeah, now if we shift gears, the other thing that I saw that uh, interested me quite a bit was uh, you took a look at uh, Stephen King's first novel, which was oh, yes. fairly fairly releasen- recently released on audio, um, Carrie, and it was read by uh, Sissy Spacek, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Okay. That yeah, was I've, um... I've heard that one, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, she did a fantastic job. You know, mm-hmm. I, she, she's a, a great actress. I, I don't know what she's done recently, to be honest with you. I've been, been following her career, per se, but she was terrific in uh, Carrie, the original film. Um, one of those, as we, as we all know, Stephen King's um, track record of movies made out of his books is not very good. I thought Carrie was one of the better ones. Uh-huh. Um, and this was something that I just, a lot of audiobooks that I find are, you know, they're, they're I find him in the library, and I was a—I used to be a, a big a, a Stephen King disciple. I call myself. I mm-hmm. thought he was pretty much the only author worth reading for a couple of years of my young life. Uh, when I first started to really read novels, I just consumed myself with Stephen King. I read everything he had written up to that point, and then this was probably in the mid to late '80s, and then I started to read his newer stuff, and. It didn't connect just quite as well with me, some of the stuff he produced in the late 80s and early 90s. And I think that was the time he, this full-blown drug and alcohol problem, in which he's, he's talked about at length. I'm not disclosing anything here, but he, mm-hmm. he's, uh, that, that kind of, I think, affected his writing for a little while. But his early stuff, um, Carry All the Way Through Misery, I think I talked about, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. was terrific. And, and, and Carry was, is not, I don't think it's one of his better novels. It's... Uh, it's his first effort. He's since you know talked about it in some interviews I've read, where you know he he, he likened it. I think somewhere it's maybe even been in the foreword to a to an unfinished cookie to a to a cookie uh, cooked by a first grader. Actually, mm-hmm. you know he said it was doughy, kind of burned on the bottom, but you know it still tastes really good. <laughs> I kind of like that description. Stephen King's and, mom liked it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a uh, it's a it's a great little story, and there's a there's a lot going on in there. He, he some of his concepts he explores in more detail later on. Uh, again, it goes back to religion. I think to some degree, Carol Carey's mother is a um, is a strict pra- practitioner of, of Christianity, and she's um, you know, very literal both with the Bible, and she's you know keeps Carey cooped up and doesn't allow her to uh, wear dresses that come up beyond her ankles and, mm-hmm. you know, teaches her about how hellfire and brimstone for anybody who steps outside these, these strict and narrow lines. And, of course, that affects Carrie. She becomes a target in her high school. Yeah. Um, 
of a lot of, That's of, one of the verbal things abuse I like most and about Stephen King um, in general. really comes to head. And 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 meanwhile. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah one I mean, of the it, things it, I like most really about Stephen awesome. King in general is uh, um, he's one of the few authors I've read that um, actually have attempted to put God right in a story, which is yeah. generally a no-no because um, you know if God could, uh, if God does uh, interact in in that way, like he does in The Stand, or mm-hmm. like he does in Desperation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the end of the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Where do you go from there where exactly? From but there? yeah, exactly. And, the, and the stand, he literally reaches in. I mean, his little hand to, to uh, interfere with the story, which I stands one of my, perhaps my favorite Stephen King novel of oh, all yeah. time. But me too. Yeah. yeah. But desperation. But Desperation's available on audio as well, and desperation. Oh, is, is it? Is almost. Uh, yeah, but it, it's abridged. It's kind of a funny thing. Um, see, Stephen King was always um, insistent on unabridged audiobooks since the beginning. Mm-hmm. He was one of the few authors who had that power. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I know a lot of people think that he needs to be edited. But anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Jesse. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But anyway, no, uh, I, I, Desperation, I'm, no, Desperation and a book called The Regulators uh, both came out at exactly the same time. Remember, he did one as Bachman and one as Stephen King. And um, because they were both big and um, released at the same time, he agreed to uh, lengthy abridgment of both. And then they, they, they released both audiobooks at the same time. Hmm. I can't remember who read Desperation, but um, The Regulators was read by uh, Kathy Bates. Oh, really? Yeah. That's that's really cool. You know I was what? I should back look to... that up because I can't remember who read Desperation, but um, I listened to that audiobook a long, long time ago. Um, but but anyway, the, the, my point was is um, that's a really good novel. You know, it, it is a horror novel, but yet it's a really good novel about what the world um, could be like with a an active God in it. You know, trying mm-hmm. to trying to portray that a little bit, you know, trying to do that in fiction is really difficult. Yep. Yeah, and, and Stephen King's not afraid to kind of tackle some of those subjects. No, um, he's not. Yeah, I, and you, you, you do see that in, in Carrie early on, that he was just, he was starting to explore this stuff. I, Carrie's unique in that he also throws in a lot of, the way he wrote it is unlike most of his, I think any of his uh, latter novels, he uses a lot of, um, like court reports from people that survived the incident with Carrie, and he uses some um, novels that folks, you know, who again survived Carrie's rampage or telekinetic rampage throughout the town. Um, he, he, I, I guess again, reading, listening to him talk about um, how he wrote his first book, he had some a lot of sticking points as many you know writers do, and he broke through it by kind of incorporating all these different elements of. Um, um, various books, various news reports, uh, newspaper reports, and I, I, I think it works. I think it's a great book. It's and it, un, unlike if you know some common criticism of Stephen King is that his stuff is, as you said, heavily in need of an editor, way too long. You get into a Stephen King novel, you're looking at you know six, seven hundred pages. Uh, Carrie, I think, in paperback form, was 
280 pages. It's a it's a pretty quick read. It's a, you know, there's only seven seven discs on audio and uh, very enjoyable. I recommend that one too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, I just looked these up. Um, it turns out Kathy Bates read Desperation, and Kate Nelligan read The Regulators. Who's Kate Nelligan? I don't know. Kate she Nelligan. was a uh, British act, oh, Canadian British actress um, uh, from the seventies. Oh, okay. Leave it to Jesse to come up with a film reference. You bet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's good stuff. She, I think she's an audiobook narrator as well, but not not one of recent um, vintage. Oh, at least not here. Uh-huh. Maybe in the UK. Yeah, and Stephen King's audiobooks, man, they've every one of them has great narration. Always different. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that sticks in my mind is Dolores Claiborne. Have you ever heard that on audio? I have not, no. Francis That's actually one of the books I haven't read of his, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's not typical, you know, but, but you're right. I mean, he, he did kind of shift gears there, and I'm not sure if that was written in that period you're talking about. Um, but um, what a fantastic audio. Francis Sternhagen read that one, and um, uh, it's terrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, King was, he's very frank about that point in his life. He said he actually wrote... Uh, uh, Cujo, yes. you know, drinking, drinking beer nonstop, and he said he doesn't really recall writing <laughs> a lot of the scenes in that book. Uh-huh. He said he enjoys it. Looking back, he said he he wished he could have enjoyed it at the time, but he doesn't remember uh-huh. even doing right. some of it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then the Tommy Knockers was probably his worst, and uh, it, mm-hmm. I thought that was the first real stumble in his career. To me, that novel was very uneven. I didn't even yeah. some of it didn't really make much sense to me. Um, he, he did bounce back with some good stuff later on. Have you read um, any of his latest stuff? Um, you know, I haven't. I, I'm trying to think of the latest stuff I've read by him. I've read, um, I just listened to actually On Writing, which oh, he yeah. narrates that's himself. A great, what a great that's book. A, what a great book. Oh, that's a terrific book. If you're an aspiring writer, there's a lot of good advice in there. I mean, and a lot of good nuts and bolts advice. It's not, not so much... Yeah. You know how to construct sentences, and uh, you know yeah. the theory of writing. It's more about how he actually um, starts, how, what his workday is like, how he gets himself to write, and it's. I, I I enjoy that, and he read that himself, and he he did a he did a fine job. He was a good narrator. Yeah, it doesn't have the best reading voice. More personal. Makes that one. Yeah, even it does. More, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. The the latest one that I heard. Um, yeah, and Stephen King, by the way, you know, being an audiobook fan. Since the first Stephen King audiobook I heard, which I can't even remember what it was, but since then I, I listened to his audiobooks. I, I don't think I've read one in print for, gosh, at least 20 years. But, wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I just love his audio. He, you know, he's, he's perfect for audio. He's one of those authors that his style is just perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, a very visual writer, I guess mm-hmm. you call him, and you can imagine... When you listen to it, it's it's it does translate well to the audio yeah. format. Right. Um, yeah. The latest one that I heard was Duma Key, and uh, I liked it. I liked it very much. I thought it was. Uh, was that a well free done. giveaway somewhere? I can't remember. No, I actually got that from the library. Okay, yeah. I remember you talking about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I haven't read Duma Key. I have to get back into the Dark Tower. I read the first three books. Yeah. Um, when they came out in the, you know, in the yeah, 80s. Funny, yeah, and, you're, uh, you're very similar to me in, in reading. You know, I, I, 
again, you know, I've probably read as much Stephen King as you have, and um, but I haven't read the Dark Tower series. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why, but um, I've read the first two, and uh, that is something that I want to uh, go ahead and do because I've heard such good things about it. Um, but it's it's not typical Stephen King, and I, I'm, you know, I I don't know why I haven't uh, jumped all over him, but you know, for some reason I haven't been completely excited to get into them. Sometimes I'm hesitated to start those long, lengthy series. It's one of the things that I, I dislike a little bit about modern fantasy. It seems like every uh, modern author has to write a five-book or a seven-book or a ten-book you know, series with no end in sight. And it's, you know, if it's, it's a big investment of time. Um, if, it, if it's, you know, there's, there's the danger that it can peter out halfway through, that he could, you know, authors lose focus when they do that long they, they they get lazy because they just want to include everything in there I'm not accusing King of that in Dark Tower I've only read the first three and I thought they were quite good but um, you know it, it's now it, it finished in seven books so um, mm. at least there's an end end in sight to that unlike some more, some of the other uh, recent fantasy series that have come out I'm thinking of uh, Wheel of Time where unfortunately the author passed away before he could finish it <coughs> Um, and then, of course, George, George R. R. Martin, who's, who's terrific. We've been waiting over, I think, mm-hmm. you know, three years since his last novel, and that keeps, the date keeps getting pushed out on that. So. Oh, I know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting that one as well. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, if you think, you know, he, he planned seven, I think. And, uh, wow, that's going to be a long, long time. Are those wow. available on that's audio, good. by the way? They are, yeah, they are. The first three are read by a guy named Roy Dotrice, who's kind of a... Uh, gravelly voiced fella you know he I know he was on Babylon 5 briefly I, I don't know if it was just an episode or not but anyway Roy Dotrice and then the fourth one is read by John Lee who is also an excellent narrator but completely a different style so I'm not sure why they switched um, hmm. John Lee is kind of regal uh, British accent very smooth narrator and Roy Dotrice is a very earthy kind of gravelly voiced narrator and, um, you know, what they should have done is used a combination of narrators. It would have been neat if they had taken each chapter, you know, the point of oh, yeah, each chapter and assigned each character a an actor or an actress. That would have yeah, been that's kind serious. of a way to do it, yeah. Because some of them are regal and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, that, <laughs> and some of them are not. You know? Especially where each each chapter is written from a point of view of a character, it would it would probably it seems to me to be pretty easy to do. But yeah, um, sure. But then again, you you have to pay all those uh, all those readers for their work. Yeah, so I imagine that might have been a stumbling point. Probably so. Yeah, and they're huge books. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they do exist on audio, and the audios are are pretty darn good. But I, I read okay. those in print before I heard them. Yeah. <clears throat> you know. Uh, you know. These really long audiobooks, you know, I'm finding, I'm, I'm having a lot of experience with them lately. Um, I'm listening to Pandora's Star now, which is 40 That's hours the long. Peter F. Hamilton? Peter F. Hamilton, yeah. It's 40 hours long, this thing. Um, oh, oh, you are a glutton for punishment. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, thrown my way by Audiophile Magazine. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, I'm give that a listen. <laughs> But um, I don't know, you know. When do you listen to audiobooks, Scott? Do you, do you do you 
do you have a do you commute to work or do you just um, no, to actually I live in a small town so I I, uh, oh. I can practically walk to work and and do on good days and when I do that I listen then I I take walks and um, when I'm doing other things I listen often while I'm doing other things um, okay I, I can get you know usually a couple hours a day is normal it is what I get in you know some mm-hmm. in the morning some in the afternoon some in the evening how about yeah. yourself? Yeah, I I, uh, I have an hour commute to work, which is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found myself, you know, this is a couple of years ago. Before I, it's amazing. I, I've only been into audiobooks for a short time, and mm-hmm. um, I was driving into work every day for an hour in and an hour back, and listening to some lousy radio stations, and you know, hearing the like- same. Hearing the same five ACDC songs over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and I like ACDC, but that, that was the truth. And uh, so I just said, hey, what, how can I fill this time? And I, I checked out an audio book. I can't remember what it was. It might have been a Stephen Pressfield book. Um, but it was, it was terrific. It was, you know, I, I felt like I, I found something that had been out there for a while that um, was under my nose the whole time. It was a kind of a treasure. And... That's that. That's where I get my listening. So I, I get about two hours a day of time to listen to a book, and it's time that I, I never have that much time to sit down and read a book. No. Um, but to listen to it is is doable in the car. Yeah, and that's and, pretty uh, much that's, how that's, I started that's where in I earnest as well. I had an hour commute. I lived an hour away from this town, as a matter of fact. So I drove here every day. And I think you should move farther away. I should. So I get more time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, Six if I'm going to get 40-hour audiobooks, I mean, how am I going to ever get through those things? Or you could just like, quit, quit your job and become a truck driver, because then we would Done. have a lot, <laughs> a lot more reviews out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Think cross-country trip. You too, Brian. Can you be a truck <laughs> driver for me? Yeah, there we go. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Every now and then, um, we we have truck drivers here that uh, you know come from all over you know, and take our stuff all over, you know, at my regular day job. Mm-hmm. And um, so every now and then, I'm not really in the shipping department, but sometimes I end up talking to one or two of them. And, um, yeah, a lot of audiobook listeners amongst truck drivers. It's like um, yeah. it's it's like a prison, right? Everyone in prison reads, mm-hmm. no matter how boring, uh, you know, how, you know, non-intellectual you are. If you're in prison, you're reading because you got all this time to fill, and it's the best thing ever mm-hmm. to fill that time. Um, and in a truck, it's like the same thing. You're in a prison, except you can't read because mm-hmm. you, you'll drive right off the road. So, the one drawback to actually, the, <laughs> the one drawback to listening to audiobooks in a car is that because I, I, I review them, so I'm I'm, I'm jotting down notes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I frequently look down for a second too long than I probably should have. Or I'm digging for a piece of scrap paper because something popped into my head while listening to a book. And so it's it's not quite as, as dangerous as texting or maybe talking on a cell phone. But, you know, occasionally <laughs> I, that, that does happen to me. Yes, we do not recommend you uh, you take notes and drive at the same time. <laughs> Pull over safely mm-hmm. to the side of the road. Well, on my hour commute to work, I've seen people do about everything in a car. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I try not to do short stories um, in uh, in the car because then you have to you have to keep better track of the plot points um, 
and you know there's a you have to say more in a shorter amount of time usually um you know a, a novel can sustain um you know you can keep whatever thought you had going because the story is not finished mm-hmm. but uh yeah. short stories i have to do at home yeah it's interesting hmm <clears throat> yeah, I find with short stories, you know, if if I've got a collection or something, it's hard for me to listen to short story after short story after short story. It's almost like, you know, when a story is done, I need uh, decompression time or something. <laughs> you know, and when I listen to story after story after story, um, I, I I lose interest very quickly. But I, I think yeah. it's like, you know, hey, I'm still thinking about that first one. You know, ooh, wow, <laughs> that was neat. Now I'm I on this next one. Holy cow. <laughs> You know, but but doesn't mean doesn't mean you you don't you don't listen to them um, over the course of two weeks. It mm-hmm. just means you don't listen to them back to back. Exactly. Um, yeah. I you know I listened to I just finished listening to the uh, the uh, sci-fi mini masterworks. Oh uh, yeah. What is it called? Yeah. Mini masterworks of science fiction. Right. Uh, by Infinivox and Alan Castor, editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing up a review for that, and uh, um, that's that's how I felt. It's like the transition time between the stories is wait, I gotta pause, <laughs> think about the end last sentence, and yeah, yeah, consider. Um, yeah, and they and they do that. Uh, you know, it it's, doesn't seem like it's very often. You know, they used to do this all the time, where they take time to put a little music in between. Yeah. But now it's just like you know, you hit the period at the end of the story, and then he's reading the title of the next one. Almost well, I, think the the problem, <laughs> I think the problem uh, with the Mini Masterworks collection is not um, that he didn't want to do that. It's that um, he's got uh, nine stories and three CDs. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, I noticed uh, very strongly in a couple of the uh, stories that there that, that like it had actually been edited for time so that uh, you know breaths right, were taken right. out and um, you know sentences that had a half second pause in between them were reduced uh-huh. so that it would all fit. And I think that's kind of unfortunate because um it doesn't it doesn't serve the story better. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in a way paragraphs and and uh, the placement of text on a page is just as important as um as you know uh, other kind other points in the writing to break up uh the the flow of the story and the flow of the dialogue. And um, it, it, it pauses are important. Pauses mean something. Uh-huh. And when it was edited like this, it feels like it's almost like been abridged, even though <laughs> every single word's in it. Yeah. So that was one, that was one thing that kind of bugged me about it. Interesting. But Changing. other than that, did you were you a fan? I mean, did you enjoy? Oh the yeah, stories? great yeah, stories. I, I'd heard that one as well. So. Um, some of them, some of them are. Uh, I had heard Ken before because that was um, on Escape Pod, I think, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was also the free release um, from this collection, available for free download, and uh, it's a, it's a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are better than others, but um, uh, lots of lots of you know, it's like he he does know what he's talking about, and any anything Alan Castor you know says, listen to this, it's going to be good. Sure. Um, worst worst the worst stuff he picks is still really good. Yeah, I agree with you. So, yeah. I'll have that out soon. I hope.
So I noticed on your website, Brian, that um, you're mostly into fantasy. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is. Um, yep. So not a lot of short stories in fantasy, right? No, there's there's not much to really to actually in the field of you know to to offer. It's pretty much when you get into fantasy, you're you're uh, so selecting the novel out of out of uh, it's the only it's the only choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've, I've always do. Do you think that? Um, I guess it depends on what type of fantasy you're talking about, but it, it it seems to me that the the milieu is way more important in the typical fantasy novel than in the typical science fiction novel. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking out loud of uh, the George R. R. Martin books, which are uh-huh. to me the best the best example of the of the modern no, of the modern fantasy novel. They're they're uh, Anyone who hasn't read them is is missing out, I think. But um, mm-hmm. you know, they do. I I think George R. R. Martin's the exception to the rule. I think the length of his books, you know, he he does such a good job of explaining the world and explaining the characters in it that it it works. Um, I think a lot of other novelists, fantasy novelists, um, probably out of just reasons of uh, publishing reasons and money reasons, you know, they if they can sell. If, if you get X number of readers of a fantasy book, well, you might as well split it up over three to five books because you're, you've got a captive audience there that want to see the series finished to the end, so you're going to sell three to five times more books. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not necessarily worthy of that kind of exploration. Um, you know, I, I think of J.R. Tolkien, Middle Earth, to me that's still the, the benchmark for all other, um, for all other fictional worlds. Uh, I think George R. R. Martin is... It has the potential to be in that same same breath, uh, depending on how he finishes the series. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a blessing and a curse. If 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 you like to really, I guess, luxuriate in in these worlds and explore them, uh, um, the modern fantasy novel has a lot to offer. You have these, you have a lot of big lengthy series out there. You know, everything from Harry Potter. To uh, again to Martin to the unfortunately never finished um, sort of truth series and uh, not sort of truth the uh, uh, the uh, I, I can't think of the author's name now he had oh, about ten Jordan books Robert up there Jordan. But, um, uh, Rob Jordan yeah there's a, this yeah yeah this so this yeah, that's do, just do the point that they're, it's, they're unfortunately, finishing that uh, series they've got an author to finish that series. I heard that. I, I, I heard he had he had some pretty good notes he had left behind after he unfortunately passed away and, and some outlines and I I, don't, I, ha- I haven't heard who the author is. They've yeah the author is uh, Brandon Sanderson who's uh, he's published four fantasy novels up to date. So okay, he's also free. Uh, you know, what's interesting? Uh, yeah, we did a review of Elantris, which is his first novel, and then mm-hmm. he's he's written a trilogy called the Mistborn trilogy, and the the third book of the trilogy is out on audio, but the first two are not. <laughs> so I expect that uh, they're going to go back and do the first two. Because the third book just came out, and uh, Macmillan Audio did that with uh, the Ender series as well, you know, Orson Scott Card series. They, yep. uh, they published the latest one that's out, get that right out there, and then they go back and get the, the previous ones. So. They also did it with Robert Jordan. In fact, they, they just came out with book eight in the Wheel of Time series. But they mm-hmm. have published uh, over the last, what, five years or so. I think two of them came out. And they, they put those right out 
um, but then they went back and started to fill in the gap in between. That's but anyway, Brandon Sanderson is uh, the fellow's okay. name. Yep. And he's even yeah, what, got what, some what, stuff on his blog. It's brandonsanderson.com. He's got some stuff on his blog where he uh, he talks a little bit about it, and it's interesting to read. And one of the things I was mentioning a, a few minutes ago, I think, was uh, you guys have done some reviews recently of the, uh, the Robert E. Howard Conan books. Mm -hmm. And to me, those are just so refreshing in today's publishing field. I mean, his stories are all, are all short stories that publish for the pulps, um, but they're, I mean, he was a terrific writer. He was a very underrated writer. Um, a lot of people have tried to imitate him or, or do pastiches of his work in, in future novels, and the ones I've read have all been pretty much dreadful. Yeah. They haven't been able to capture what made Robert E. Howard a great writer, what made Conan a great character, but um, I wish there was more like that, to be honest with you, uh, in bookstores today. I wish there was some shorter alternatives and, and you didn't have to you know, commit the next six months of your life to, to reading a series to, to get through it. Um, he's, I can't say enough about Robert E. Howe. It's, it's strange. I, I have my, my two favorite fantasy authors are Tolkien and Robert E. Howard, which aren't normally thought of in the same breath. But, uh, Mine, too. Mine, too. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of the two extremes, I guess. Um, you know, Tolkien spent his whole life working on his create, sub-creating his, his, his world of Middle Earth, and uh, Robert E. Howard kind of wrote, uh, for expediency's sake, he was just trying to, he was trying to uh, really make a living. You know, Tolkien was a professor. He was writing as kind of a hobby and he was thrilled. Oh, he wasn't. He was thrilled. He was a mixed emotions when Lord of the Rings did so well. But um, he wasn't. He wasn't writing out of financial reasons. You know. And uh, Robert E. Howard. The, the reality was that he had to sell to sell to magazines, and that kept him at a white hot pace. And some of his stuff suffered from it. But I think you know, if if you look at his his overall writing, um, you know, it's it's it actually aided it in many ways, and that he, he had to come up with so many different situations, so many different characters, and um, it's, 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 all, it's really eye-opening to, to compare it to what you can find in bookstores today. You ready for my, my fantasy fiction rant? Sure. sure. Let her rip. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, the reason why you like uh, Tolkien and Howard, and you, you're sort of less enthusiastic about a, mo a lot of the modern uh, fantasy, is because the modern guys suck. And the reason they suck is because they don't know anything except for Howard and um, and Tolkien. And what did Howard and Tolkien know? They they knew history. They're stealing from history or from other literary uh, historical stories. Like, um, you know, Tolkien was very much influenced by Beowulf. I mean, basically, he, he's, he's a scholar of that stuff. And, yeah. and Howard, I mean, you just... You just start reading his his names. Just his names are all stolen. They're all shamelessly stolen from history. Every every country he named is is either a real place, a real city uh, that's been recast and renamed. I mean, he 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 had a huge fondness for for history and and the you know the dramatic the dramatic sweeps of history and what we get with modern fantasy is is sort of a rehash Tolkien and they take all the best parts you know the the dr dramatic world building storytelling um, surprising 
And they say, well, we'll just put it in a dungeon. <laughs> and we'll have a dragon. And then that'll be a good fantasy story. Or we'll just, we just have to have... It's like magic inflation. I, I think I was telling you, Brian, about why fantasy fiction sucks is because it's got so much magic in it. Um, mm-hmm. Fantasy fiction works best when, when the magic is talked about and rarely seen. You know, when when it's it's known that it exists, but it's not mm-hmm. common. And um, it's like when you're playing Dungeons and & Dragons and the, the dungeon master doesn't care very much, they'll give you, you know, uh, you know, you fight the dragon and then you get a, a box of gold. And the box of gold is the reward. And the way you can tell it's a good story is because there's more gold than there was last time. Well, that's not what I want. <laughs> I don't want more gold. I want more yeah. story. I don't care so much about the no, you, I, I think you're right about Robert E. Howard. I mean, I, I'm not a scholar Robert E. Howard. I've kind of dipped my toe in the water of, of looking more and more into his, his background and some of the literary criticism out there. But if you go to a website like, uh, you guys have heard of the Sumerian, Sumerian.com, yeah, great, I, great I recommend website. that website for anyone who's a fan of Howard. But um, the more you read about the guy, yeah, the, the more you realize that he was a, a fan of history. He actually said in one of his letters that he wished he could have spent more time as a writer of historic fiction. He said, you know, I think one of his quotes was this more in a, a paragraph in a history book. There's, there's about a hundred story ideas in every paragraph you read in a history book. He says Absolutely. it's just it's loaded with with far more than you could ever find in a, in a, in fiction, in in straight uh, straight fiction. And he, yeah. he wanted to do more. Unfortunately, the reality was it he, he, it took a lot of time to research that stuff. He had to do a lot of legwork. Of course, he was writing in the way before the internet era, so he didn't have the the best resources at his fingertips. It was amazing how re- well read he still was, despite the fact he was living out in rural Texas. Exactly. And um, but yeah, his his. I think it, it, that that does infuse all of his stories with uh, a realistic edge. And um, there are many other. There's a many uh, Robert E. Howard scholars who have argued that um, you know his particular strength was that he was a, a realistic writer. Uh, you 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 don't think that you think of um, his Conan stories as just kind of being a completely fictional creation and um, Hyboria being a, an alien world, but it's actually, um, there's a guy by the name of Mark Finn who wrote a terrific, which I would recommend, that I, I, I doubt this is out on audiobook yet, but it's called Blood and Thunder, The Life and Art no, of Robert E. Howard. It really should it's be an audiobook, though. It's a, it's a relatively recent, it's a recent biography of Howard, and it talks about how he, he argues convincingly that Howard's, all his work was a product of his upbringing in Texas. And about the the rough and tumble, um, boom and bust oil towns he grew up in, uh, where where you still had some of the elements of the old west mixed in. Even though it was 1920s and 30s Texas, you still had, you know, bar fights were common. You had people making and losing fortunes overnight because of the you know, oil wells and running dry. And it's it's a really it's a fascinating read, and it it it, it um, I think it convincingly lays out the case that, you know, to, uh, that Howard was a in many ways, was a realistic writer and uh, a Western writer, and kind of in 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 fantasy trappings. Mm-hmm. You know, I the, recommend that highly. The fantasy book that I'm I'm really looking forward to. Well, I guess it's not even fantasy. Is um, I'm I, I'm hoping it's available on audio. Yeah, yeah, it says it is. Um, Michael Chabon, you know him. 
He's he's got a book. Called, I don't. Know. Uh, well, he he was the guy who wrote um, the what was that? the the Yiddish Policeman's Union? Union, yeah, which has been really doing very well in the the reviews, and I think I think making some money as well. But um, I heard about this book a couple of times, and it sounds really good. It's called uh, Gentleman of the Road, and it's a swashbuckling adventure set in the Kingdom of Iran, which is a A R R A N, which is uh, Azerbaijan, I guess. Now, uh, around 950 AD, and it follows two horse thieves, uh, a massive African Jew named Amram, and a hat-loving Frankish Jew named Zelkimen as they become swept up in a rebellion and try to restore a displaced prince to the throne. The story deals with the Khazars, a Turkic people who embrace Judaism. Um, see, this is, this, is, um, this is like old-fashioned adventure story uh, in a sort of a place and time we don't hear much about. That's, that's my favorite kind of fantasy, is something that uses um, sort of a... a f- maybe the tiny tiny little fantastic elements i don't even know if there are any in the story but a, a sword and sorcery without so much the sorcery i think i think people sort of get tied up in thinking that the sorcery is the most important part whereas i think the sword's the, <laughs> the really important part but um no, I, the, the other one i recommend is uh, and i've been i'm trying to bootstrap i've been asking publishers a uh, couple of publishers uh, why don't you why don't you make this into an audiobook It'd be great um, Henry Treese anybody read any Henry Treese not not I, I have not okay no. Henry Treese is like um, he's an old poet and um, uh, he wrote a lot of historical fiction in ages gone past um, from 1911 to 1966 so he's he's, he's not um, he's not super well known um, but his, his the the one that I got introduced to as a kid was um, uh, a set of three very slim um, Viking novels. Uh, first one's called Viking's Dawn, and that's um, about a young Viking kid who uh, you know joins a Viking crew and uh, goes off to you know raid some abbeys in Ireland or something like that. Um, and then in the second book, The Road to Miklagard, which is another name for Istanbul now and Constantinople and Byzantium at, at the time, um, is about uh, the boy as a young man in, instead of a teen or whatever. He's a, you know, he's a 20-year-old. And um, he goes off and joins the, uh, uh, an expedition to uh, Istanbul. Uh, and they, of course, they don't go uh, the long way uh, down the coast of France and through Spain and the the uh, Mediterranean. They they go overland um, into the rivers and ford the rivers and mountains with their ship and eventually become part of the uh, part of the um, the Varangian Guard, which was like a a Viking guard uh, of the Eastern Empire of, of Rome. Uh, Constantinople had Vikings as their uh, as their you know shock troops, hmm. which is really interesting and factual. Um, mm-hmm. And then the the final book in the series is called Viking Sunset, and that's set when he's an older man, like around sixty years old, I guess. And um, uh, I think one of the 
uh, maybe um, let me just see here. Remind myself. Um, yeah, he's enjoying a peaceful life, farming with his wife and sons, uh, when his village is attacked, and his his crew of Vikings reassembles to chase the uh, uh, Vikings uh, who attacked them uh, across the Atlantic, and they go from, you know. Uh, wherever they are, I guess is uh, Denmark or whatever, and they go uh, chase them to Iceland, and oh, they're they're already gone. They chase them to Greenland. Oh, they're already gone. So they chase them to Vinland, which is of course North America, and um, that that was like, wow, oh my god, adventures, <laughs> you know, like uh, okay, Europe's cool, but getting into North America, and they ally with some some uh, Hurons and. Um, chase down these these evil Vikings. Amazing story, right? And done in three slim volumes that would fit inside of uh, inside the you know f- first fat fantasy and still have room for an appendix. You know, that's well, yeah, that's, me convinced. I I, I think it sounds great. I I um one of the books I recommend again is um. The Saxon stories. By have you guys heard? You must have heard of Bernard Cornwell. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's one of the better historic uh, fiction writers today. I mean, his, his his work's amazing, and he's 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 currently speaking of Vikings in the middle of a series called the Saxon Stories, uh, which are all available on audio. That's how I listen to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. They're uh, yeah, they're 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 very. You know, it's it's a it's a lengthy series, but each one is self-contained. You you really. Aren't required to have knowledge of the, the previous ones. He does a good job, kind of, you know, introducing the story, um, picking up where it left off. You know, you, you might want to start with the the Last Kingdom was the first one, but it, it, but I, I particularly enjoy. It. I mean, he 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 did the uh, Sharp series, which I haven't really I've read a little bit of. Um, I didn't I didn't like the books that much, but um, I I I love the the series, the television series. I have never seen. I think George R. R. Martin is probably the closest I've seen, but. Um, but in his descriptions of battles, if you like good battle scenes, mm-hmm. Bernard Cornwell is is the best. I mean, he he in the Saxon stories, he's got you know the old Viking shield walls where the guys used to line up and uh, shield to shield, and their shields would overlap. You know, you mm-hmm. trusted your life to the guy on your right because he was holding the shield, and and it was more of a massive uh, a weight of you know pushing each other. There was it's a, a lot of it was nasty fighting. It was also, you know, hacking and stabbing under and over the shield rims with with short spears and swords. And then, um, if 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 you like that stuff, if you like a little bit of gore, <laughs> because it it does have that too. But uh, I I can't recommend those books highly enough. It makes me realize that I'm glad I'm living in the age that I'm living in now. As much as I like to read that stuff, I don't think I'd actually want to be on the no. on the ground in a shield wall. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what, my uh, the best battle novel that I've ever read is The Killer Angels by Michael Shira. Oh, yeah. That one? What no, I have. What an awesome book that is. Yeah. yeah it's about uh, the Civil War. Um, battle of Gettysburg, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, if you go on my, if you go on the Silver Key, I have a, one of the first posts I did was I, I rank all the books I've ever read on a, on a very scientific five-star system. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I can help it. Um, and and the Killer Angels is a is is one of the handful of books I've given five stars to. Oh, I, cool. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, you know what stuff. it's it, it again gets outside of what we're talking about here today, but 
you know, highly recommend it if you want to learn if, if you know if you're a fantasy writer today and you want to figure out how to do a realistic battle scene, you could do a lot worse than to pick up the Killer Angels um, and look at how he he describes Gettysburg, which was just an absolute bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm looking at your 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 book ranking list. Yeah, uh, this this must have been taken from your journal. Yeah, a lot of those books were, were previously reviewed in my journal. I have to update that with some of the recent ones I've looked at lately. But um, zero stars. Yeah, it's just a way. Neuromancer. <laughs> what? You know, I wasn't zero able, stars. I wasn't able to finish Neuromancer. You know, so if you look at my zero stars, this, short cause this guy, this guy's off the podcast, and he says Neuromancer. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give that one another try. Uh-huh. But uh, and, yeah, you know, that's a great audiobook too. Um, Neil, uh, not not Neil Gaiman. Um, uh, William Gibson's reading. Uh, it's a it's a bridge. That's the only bad part. Um, Neil Gibson. Neil. William Gibson's reading of it is is very strange in that is he's not an actor, but he does a good job reading his own stuff, and uh, it's got music by U2 in it as well. Uh, but yeah, you can't give Neuromancer zero stars. <laughs> well, Zero Stars, if you look at it, is not necessarily a bad book. It's one, for whatever reason, I wasn't able to finish. And I, I don't. Rec- I read that so long ago that I don't recall why I put it down. It may have been I was young and it, and it blew my mind too much, and I didn't know what was going on, so I put it down. Backpedal, uh, backpedal, Because those, those, those book <laughs> rankings take back quite a ways. Yeah. <laughs> I am backpedaling a bit there because I know it's pretty much regarded as the one of the one of the cornerstones of science fiction. You know, it's it's just it's 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 um it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. It it's got a great story. It's very gritty, very uh, yucky story. Um, you know, it's got uh, it's got like a, a a scene I really like is sort of exemplifies the story. Um, they go up to a space station, right? And what do they do up there? Um, the main character gets drunk, uh, takes drugs, passes out. And, and is expected to go to work. <laughs> and I'm going, well, why, why is this our hero, you know? Like, he's such a loser. But the way, um, the way uh, William Gibson writes is he makes everything cool, even stuff that shouldn't, shouldn't be cool. Um, the way he's, he's just he's full of great ideas, and everything's, you know, firing perfectly. Um, and in his later books, all that style, you know, the great writing is there but the story is just not not strong now see if you would if you'd said you know count zero by william gibson or something else by william gibson i i you know i've had a lot of sympathy for that but <laughs> neuromancer's the only time you know he got it perfect well now you've convinced me to try that book again i, Good. I will do that Good. that's my that's my take-home homework from this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Give you lots of work. <laughs> I, I notice you have the Dark Worlds of H.P. Lovecraft Volume Five on uh, your four and a half stars. That's uh, yeah. That was audio. um, that was the audio that that, that I got from you guys. Uh, cool. It, it was amazing. That was read by Wayne June. Mm-hmm. If, it was, if it was ever a voice made for H.P. Lovecraft, I think Wayne we might June. have him on next week. Really? I got. I'll have okay. to listen to that. I'd love to hear if his yeah. If his, that's he his, sent me. Um, he sent me a. Uh, review copy of something and there's a nice letter in it saying oh 
you know, dear reviewers, if you would like to have me on the podcast, something. Oh, like you got to do that. You got to yeah. do that, Jesse, because but the guy he, he is. Wants, uh, he wanted us to give him a list of questions beforehand, and I said, I don't think we can do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's more of a conversation, right? Because I don't know what I don't know what questions to ask until I talk to you some. So maybe we'll yep. have a pre-talk uh, to allay any issues, but. Yeah, it's uh, that should be pretty cool because he's got he's got a voice to scare you. Yeah, and he does I a know. great and, job with those. And those particular, uh, I forget what remember with with three stories that were read uh, he read, but uh, in that uh, particular one. series, mm-hmm. but it it was it was certainly one of the better audio books I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think H.P. Lovecraft. One of those authors whose stuff, even though he's his his writing style is hard to get into, it's a bit verbose. It's it's a little bit, I guess I don't want to call it dated. Maybe a little bit dated, but it, something about it works on on books because again, I think he's he's a he's a very uh, descriptive writer. Yeah. Um, and it certainly was just a great marriage with him and and, and Wayne June. Yeah. Um, you know, he's out looking for haunter of the dark and the thing on the doorstep. I think uh, uh, you can't way, go wrong with Lovecraft. I mean, those titles alone make you want to read them. <laughs> yep, yeah, yep, it's true. I think the way um, uh, Lovecraft wrote, he he had like a thesaurus sitting right in front of him because he says, "Wow, I've got to write this story. It's got to have it's got to have a lot of creepy words in it. Think of some creepy words. Okay, I'll look up." Uh, uh, blood, <laughs> and then looks up. Actually, he wouldn't talk so much about blood. He, rotting, looks up rotting. He finds 15 words for rotting. And um, one of the things I I do in class is I I we read um, the the statement of Randolph Carter, and 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 I just go through and I show how many different uh, synonyms he has for tomb. <laughs> He's got 14 <laughs> different different words that all mean tomb in that. Horrible ossuary, <laughs> and in that creepy sepulcher. <laughs> um, right. he's, he's he's a real lover of the of of the sentence. That man, you know. Some mm. people like like the the storytelling. Um, he likes paragraphs, but really, he loves the sentence. Yeah. I actually, I'm I'm from Massachusetts, so I've um, I live in an area that uh, is featured. In some of Lovecraft's stories, um, the, there was a, a an amazing um, old uh, asylum that's located about 20 minutes from my house over in Danvers. It's since been unfortunately demolished and turned into a an, a wonderful set of uh, condominium complex. But um, creepy condo. It was called Danvers State Mental Hospital, and it's actually featured in a film called uh, Session Eight. Uh, excuse me, Session Nine. Uh, okay. I was off by a digit, <laughs> but it, I highly recommended um, kind of a not well-known horror film that um, came out in the late '90s. But it's did it's you filmed say on session or section? Session nine, okay. session nine, and it's uh, it's filmed on location. They didn't use any or almost no special effects. It's just they just rolled the cameras inside this creepy old asylum, and. Uh, you know that 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 asylum's actually mentioned in at least a couple of Lovecraft short stories, not prominently featured, but some of his characters that, of course, all they all they all go insane at the end of the stories. <laughs> Just like Supposedly Lovecraft. wound up, yeah, 
they all wound up there. And then I, 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 I drive through uh, Witch Haunted Salem every day on my way to work. So Lovecraft, for, for that reason alone, has always been a little more, uh, a little more personal for me because I, I although it look, the sure it looks a lot different nowadays, it's still uh, kind of neat to be in the areas he's describing in his books. Uh, did you happen to attend uh, Miskatonic? Miskatonic <laughs> University? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, no I'm still looking for it. <laughs> I wasn't accepted. No. <laughs> you apply and you apply and you apply, but scholarships are hard to get. <laughs> yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.